On the day that the Lord Jesus rose again from the grave, he walked with two of his disciples on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They didn't recognize him at first, but they did enjoy his company and his conversation. So much so that when they had reached their destination and he seemed to be walking on, they begged him to remain with them and eat with them. If you've truly met the risen Savior, you know this desire. You enjoy Christ's company and conversation, and the last thing you want is for him to pass on from you. Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to discover more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. We're considering Luke 24 and the account of Christ walking with two disciples on the day that he rose from the grave. What we have seen is that they found Christ to be what they had known him to be for the three years they had walked with him, that they wanted his companionship to continue with them, and yet he was mysteriously more to them than he was before. And so it may be with us. Christ, a companion, and yet a wonderful mystery we cannot live without. He met with his disciples off and on. He wasn't always with them. He wasn't with them at all times. If he was with them in one place, and then you'd see that he wasn't with them, and maybe he was with somebody else in some other place that's not recorded for us. We know that he went from there, and he, for example, he visited his brother James, his half-brother James. So he's making himself known to different individuals. The interesting thing is as you study this and read this, when he meets with them, you discover that as he reveals himself to them, he, he reveals himself in certain ways in which he is just the Lord that they had known. But at the same time, there's this wonder of who he is. After the disciples met with the Lord Jesus on that resurrection day in Jerusalem, we're told that at some point in time, they made their way down to the Sea of Galilee and they began fishing again, which is what they did before they began following the Lord Jesus. And the account is given in John chapter 21 that as they were out fishing all night without any success, that the Lord Jesus appeared in the morning along the shore and the Lord Jesus suggested that they throw in their nets one more time. Now, they didn't recognize it was the Lord Jesus. Something about the person was commanding them, though, because they put their nets in again, and their nets were filled with fish. Now, that's not the first time that happened. Before he called them the very first time to be his disciples, they had encountered the exact same experience. They had been fishing all night without success, and the Lord Jesus had told them to throw their nets in one more time, and it was filled with fish. The same thing. And at that moment, they knew it was the Lord Jesus. John turned to Peter and said, it's the Lord. And Peter jumped into the water and swam to shore. And when he got there, he, he found that the Lord had already fished at the shoreline and a little fire, and he was cooking it for them. And then they all arrived to be in his presence. Verse 12 says this, as they were feeding and eating with him. In John chapter 21, now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. But did you get that idea there? None of them dared ask because something different was here, something strange. Here he was, everything and doing, everything he had done in the past, and yet there was something more, something marvelous, something wonderful, something they'd not encountered before. Filled them with a sense of mystery and awe. Matthew tells us, by the way, at the moment that the Lord Jesus commissioned his disciples, he had told them to go to a certain place. I think it was the exact same mountain where he appointed them to be his disciples. He told them to go back to that place and there he would reveal himself to them. I also believe that this is probably the location where 
as we're told by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that 500 of the brethren gathered all once to see the risen Lord Jesus. And there in that place, the Lord Jesus commended them to go and proclaim his good news and his resurrection to all the world. As they arrived in that place, we're told that the Lord Jesus appeared before them. It's like he came out of the invisible space into their presence. He didn't walk up on the hill with them. He just all of a sudden appeared to them. And when he appeared to them, Matthew 28, 17 says they worshipped him. That was something new. All during his sojourn with them, they never worshipped him. They would worship God alone, but now they're worshipping him. They found something wonderful about them. How about him? They prostrated themselves before him, and they bowed in his presence, and they recognized that this was deity, and they adored him as God before them. And verse 17 actually says this. They worshipped him, and some doubted. They weren't doubting his resurrection. It was that this appearance of the Lord Jesus was something more than they'd ever known before, and it mystified them. It filled them with wonder and awe. There's a commentator by the name of Besser who I believe gives us the reason for the questions that were in their minds and that we have these various accounts in which they had this experience of doubt and wonder. Here's what he writes, quote, So beautiful... So unfadingly beautiful was his appearance, and yet so mild, so entirely human and brotherly, so almighty and powerful, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the conqueror of death and hell, and yet so entirely the lamb of God with the marks of the slaughter upon him. The dim eyes of human flesh could not at once accommodate themselves to the blessed vision of the resurrection and the life. And so they wondered, and they doubted, and they were in awe of this encounter. In the Old Testament period, we understand that God made himself known to the people of Israel, and he he presented his presence or represented his presence among them in the holy temple. And there in the temple, they would gather to worship God before that temple, and God's presence was residing before them or represented as residing before them in the most holy place or the holy of holies. And this was a place that the high priest could only enter into once a year through a veil. And he would come into that place in order to bring into the represented presence of God in that holy place to bring the prayers and the sacrifices that had accumulated that the people had offered up through all the year for their sin and There he interceded for them in that place. So God was present among them, and God was there, but God was veiled off from their view in a place that they couldn't go because God was too holy for them to approach because they were sinful. They were in need of an intercessor to pray on their behalf. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, we're told at the moment of his death that the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom and torn in two into the holy place. And in that moment, the veil of separation caused by our sins was removed. You take in by faith Jesus Christ and his saving work on the cross on your behalf. You receive him as your Lord and Savior, and he opens up to you the veil of his torn flesh where he was torn for you and your sins so that you might walk into the very presence of the holy God and know him. He brings you with him into God's presence, the presence of God the Father, in order to intercede on your behalf and pray for you. When Jesus walked upon this earth as a man, 
He veiled off from people the majesty and the glory of his divine presence because it would have been too much for them. It would have destroyed them. They couldn't have taken it in. But once being made right and once having your sins taken care of and being purified, there is now a right, a privilege, an honor that we have. The veil is opened up and he comes out before us as God in the flesh. The almighty, all-powerful, glorious God. He's died in your place. He's provided the cleansing for your sins. And now you may see him in his divine glory. He's still a man. He's not taken off his humanity. You may still encounter him and engage him in the tender ways in which his disciples walked and engaged him in those days of past. But now there's something more. Now you meet him and you know him as God, the holy God, come to set sinners like us free from our sins. Washed, forgiven, believing in him, he comes before us through the veil and we may know him in his mysterious, wonderful majesty as the wonderful God of the ages. He still meets with us, yes, in his incarnation, but no longer veils off his divine life from us. We get to know it, experience it, encounter him for who he is. Christ will be familiar to you and yet fearful and awesome. Jesus is gentle with us and yet he's a giant who encompasses the universe in his greatness. Do you know him in that way? Do you know him today like that? Are you living with the Lord Jesus in this great, supreme, profound encounter? Or when you think of him, are you simply recounting old tales from the past? What he did, how he lived, some form of inspiration for a moment, a meme, post at some point in time to get you through the day. Have you found him at this moment, the friend that you read he was to others, who comes near to you and loves sinners still? Have you discovered as well that this friend of sinners is awesome and fearful and mysterious and to be worshipped and to be obeyed and to be adored? (laughs) This is the purpose of our salvation. This is the reason for the cross. This is what he brings to us in the resurrection. Just this. You can know him. You can live with him today. He's risen from the dead and he's risen for you. And if you've not met him in this way, you can. And let me just say you should. I'll say it. You don't deserve him. You don't. We don't. Take an account of yourself. It will never be quite accurate. You're far more sinful than however sinful you think you are. You're far worse than what you think of yourself on your worst day. But he knows it. He knows it. And he knew it on the day he went to the cross and died for you. And he knows it as he stands before your heart and knocks and says, can I come in and live in you and transform you? You may know him today. He'll wash your sins away. He'll live within you. And he'll bring you into the reality of his presence. Nothing ultimately be more more real than this. The Bible is full of all kinds of poetic language of what it's like to live with the Lord Jesus and know the Lord Jesus. And it's mysterious language. It's not language that you can write out a very clear, defined statement. It's like what we just read in Revelation 3.20. It's like, okay, it's like God comes and has dinner with you inside your heart. What's that? 
Jesus says another place, it's like, if you'll receive me, it's gonna be like out of your inmost being, out of your stomach is gonna flow a river of living water. What's that mean? I can't describe it to you. Its reality is so profound, I can only tell you it's true. It's true. I know it. He'll do the same for you. And if you've met him and you know him in this way, let me encourage you just to remember and live with him every day. Let's bow our heads. Your blood was not wasted, O God. Your blood, your saving life poured out, dear Jesus, was not wasted. Though you offered it, and it is sufficient for the sins of all the world, and it's sufficient for the sins of every person present here. Should they receive you or should they turn away? The sufficiency of all that Christ has accomplished on the cross is available for them today. We praise you and thank you for what you did at the cross and we know, dear God, it it was enough and the price was paid. You took it into the grave and laid it there and you rose again. And now... What stands before us is just this opportunity to begin living with you forever and ever. We thank you and we praise you. We praise you, O God. I praise you with so many here that that moment has come. That transforming moment has come. And all that lies before us is a promise, dear and precious and good. We give you glory for this in Jesus' precious name. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. Go to traincpe.org to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.